and welcome back to an episode on the Body, Mind and Heart community podcast, previously called Linked Stories. Today you are listening to Malini Shah, your host, and I am delighted to bring you a really moving story of a, an incredible lady called Mira Naran, who has already moved and touched the hearts of many. She has had a panorama episode made on her family story, and she has been on Breakfast with Phil and Holly, and the story has been covered on multiple media channels. I'm absolutely honored to share her story on the Body, Mind and Heart Community podcast. This is the first episode of Mira's story covering grief, and the second episode moves on to how she's managed to convert grief to empower herself and the lives of others. It is truly amazing. She is a mother of three children, and by profession, she's a lecturer of postgrad pharmacy and now an author of an incredible book called Mimi, Mother of Warriors. And Mimi, Mother of Warriors is also an Instagram account should you need to contact her. I really hope you enjoy this episode and thank you so much for tuning in. I remember someone coming up to me and saying to me life can be very cruel based on their experience. I chose not to believe this rather bleak statement and decided to park it away in my mind somewhere. Sometimes I hear of stories and it makes me rethink and question the legitimacy of that very statement. This story you are about to hear certainly did that to me. Mira, thank you ever so much for joining me. Privileged to have you here to be part of the second episode of a series to do with grief and empowerment. So, Neil, your first child was born 11 years ago. And yes. what did you discover soon after he was born? Um, it was only three days after um, he suffered from an acute brain injury. He was um, admitted into hospital and um, so the doctor said his prognosis going forward was really poor and he may not make it past a month, um, oh my God. past a year, you know, <gasps> that they just weren't very sure at all. And it was absolutely devastating. You know, when you're pregnant, you have all these dreams and hopes and you're having a baby and it's so exciting. You've got life inside you, your future's ahead of you, you you kind of all, you know, you build this reality of the future of what, what you hope for it to be like, you know, mm. your child getting married, graduating, having children. And in that instant when we were told that he was brain damaged and he would suffer from multiple health issues, um, but also not even um, be able to do regular things like other children, we were absolutely devastated. It just, it just broke us. I can and imagine it took a long time to process that um, and accept that, I guess. Um, for us parents, who you, you know, you, you're looking for hope and there just didn't seem to be any. And very, very shortly after he was admitted into hospital, he started suffering from seizures. And we were told very quickly that, um, you know, they, they would try and manage the seizures, but it just didn't seem like they were getting hold of, of them with the medication. And as time went on and as, as the years went on, 
his seizures were just not being managed by medication at all. And it was absolutely heartbreaking to see him have these seizures every single day. Um, on, you know, on, in, in those days, on a bad day, we could go up to 40, 50 or 60. And oh my they would gosh. Be absolutely debilitating. He would be exhausted afterwards and it was, it was so painful. Um, but one one of the things, and one one little bit of hope that we were given, um, and it was around two two months after he was born, and we were still in, I was still in hospital with him. Uh, one of the consultants um, suggested to have another child. Now, um, obviously, it was a little bit shocking, and I, I you know you don't really plan for a child straight away. Um, but it was the best advice I was ever given, um, the best kind of um, suggestion I was ever given. She said, you know, if you have another child, maybe, you know, Neil will see the other child and it will just bring a little bit of, of joy and happiness in the house. Um, it may help with this development. Um, you know, there's there's hope there's hope in there basically mm. so we made a really tough decision of having another child um and as soon as neil was um discharged from hospital we tried straight away and 13 months after neil was born we had there amazing and so, that must have been quite a frightening process um did you ever think what if it happens again there must have been a huge amount of fear attached to that second pregnancy um two-sided really i I was absolutely terrified, terrified in every possible way that something would go wrong and he would be poorly like Neil as well. And I didn't want that for him. Um, I didn't want um, anything to happen to him as well. I didn't know if I'd be able to cope. Um, mm. So many mixed feelings, you know, and already I was suffering from postnatal depression at this point. I didn't know it at the time, um, but unfortunately, when we were discharged from hospital, we we got very little support for Neil, um, mm. for, and no one really kind of helped with um, my mental health, I guess, which was which was such a shame and, and so tragic, really, because I think if I'd had that little bit of support at that point, it would have really built my confidence going forward. Sure, yeah. Um, but luckily, what sort, of, what sort of support would you have really felt would have helped you at that particular time that wasn't there? Um, so, look at well, in hindsight, now when when I've just had um, my third baby, Evangeline, I've had um, amazing mental health support from the nurses throughout my pregnancy, and sure. after she's been born as well. So, had that been in place at that point, I think it would have been instrumental in in really helping me build myself, yeah. my confidence, and and just everything around. Yeah. So you decided to have a second child, Dev, and thankfully. There were no medical issues there at all. Very healthy baby. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So um, I was really adamant on the birthing process that um, that everything was was. I wanted to make sure that the consultant was involved very early on in the in the labour process to make sure that as soon as Dev was born, was available to make sure that he was okay and that he was um, monitored very carefully for for a couple of weeks after. Of this course, was, this was echoed by the the consultant looking after me, and he also um, agreed that 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 should be the case. So very strict pro protocol was put into place in my maternity notes um, for for that to happen, and I am so glad that it did. And the the help and care at that time was was amazing during the birth and after as well so yes he was absolutely fine wonderful the two children had an amazing relationship from what i 
gathered from the blog that I re- read that there yes. was, you know, a beautiful relationship that had established there and it was all going really, really well. Um, would you like to share more about that? Yes. So, um, it, you know, even though there was 13 months between the two of them, they were pretty much like twins. They did everything together. And this this love was something I'd never experienced or seen in my life. The way they just absolutely doted on each other, worshipped each other almost. Um, they're obviously able to speak, communicate. He could walk properly. He could, um, he could experience life. And there was Neil in his little bubble. Um, and yet you could see no difference between them with the language of love. And it, it was almost the, well, it was the most beautiful love story that I could, I could ever tell. You know, they supported each other for everything that Neil couldn't do physically Dev would be right there and when Dev was feeling sad or emotional Neil would be there with his cheery smile and his um, beautiful personality making making Dev giggle whenever he could um, and they balanced oh. each other out they've never saw Neil different at all um, he never saw him different from himself he I don't think he even noticed um, until a lot mm. later on when he went to school and at that point, he experienced a little bit of bullying around Neil. His, some of the children made fun of, of Neil because they were at the same school at the time. And they were so disheartened. Oh. He was so upset um, when he came home. And he, he said, you know, I don't understand why they're making fun of him. Oh, that's really sad. Is, as a parent, sit down and say, well, you know, this is the situation. And to then build Dev up. And I, and I realized from a very early stage that I had to make sure that Dev's mental health was absolutely looked after in every way possible. For me, his mental health was so important because I didn't want him to grow up and have any sort of emotional um, repercussions in the future. Um, of owning um, with with Neil at home. Um, obviously, with Neil being very sick, we had to go to hospital a lot. We had a lot of hospital appointments, and you know mm. it was a lot for a child to see. And whilst yeah. you know the joy of having another child was was absolutely amazing, I also wanted the joy of him having you know a beautiful childhood as well. Um, so my, you of know, course. my time would have to be absolutely divided equally between the two, and you know all all the love for both of my children the same literally even though yeah. Neil needed that more and I did give it to him I also gave that extra to their forever um, and however I could so hard that balancing act of being a mum and dividing that time it is it you is know. it was so tough for me, it was also making sure that, you know, I talked to Dev about his feelings, how he was processing things, how he understood things as well, um, how to respond. Um, because of that to age, you know, when you're getting those mixed feelings of anger and frustration of why people are saying things like that. Um, and he started noticing it from the community and people around us as well. This negative sort of view towards Neil of, oh, you know, he's really naughty. And they would turn around to me and say, Mommy, he's not naughty. He just can't understand what they're trying to say. So maybe they should speak a little bit slower. <laughs> and, you know, this is, this yeah. is from the mouth of a child who's, you know, I think he was four at the time or five. So even he... There's a real lack of literacy around children who are impaired or slightly, you know, disabled or you know there there is a real lack of understanding amongst people isn't there about 
disabilities in general and that you know not every child is the same and oh and it would have been quite obvious for them as well because Neil was in a wheelchair some of the time as well he was um he was but actually um shortly after he was born and we were given his prognosis i refused to give up um i refused to believe that he couldn't do some of the things they said he could do and i literally went through every treatment and therapy that you could even think of from all around the world to um to get him to be able to walk so he's actually started walking and running really well um he started communicating wow. um we i spent a lot of time on his speech therapy as well um he was able to communicate very very small sentences and and you know have very small conversation with you but he was able to do that um you know we talked peaceful yeah we were told really. in the hospital that he would be completely incontinent for the rest of his life and he was you know he was okay we, we managed to get um potty train him at the same time as if so you know it was we we had some great achievements as a family we had some really beautiful achievements so yes sometimes mm. you could you could look at neil and think oh yeah he doesn't he doesn't look disabled and you know what does this disability look like i don't know but um mm. that's still a question mm. i i keep asking myself when people say that they'll say you know and, and some of the hurtful comments that went with it was was so painful mm. it's oh it's a shame he's so good looking um but he's disabled and that's ridiculous as a mother to yeah. hear something like that it's anybody yeah. to hear something like that it's soul destroying uh, yeah beautiful um. no matter what <laughs> you know he's he's beautiful he will always be beautiful to me and he was beautiful to he is and always will be beautiful to all of us so you know comments like mm. that really did um kind of strike us as so painful and mm. and therefore sit there and listening mm. to these comments in the background and you know it got to the point where he just either walk off in frustration or just roll his eyes or sometimes and and very much later he started actually responding back and he would say well my brother is beautiful no matter what um and he's perfect no matter what <laughs> good for him yeah good absolutely and, yeah absolutely good. and it so. was it was that process of learning the balance between and, and we also have, we kind of stopped going out so much as well because we we knew what the reaction would be sometimes as well and we would make a family decision to just be like well you know that's going to be too tough on all of us um you know some yeah. some events or situations where we go to the cinema and people would just come up to us and talk to us but ignore neil completely because he was in in the wheelchair and couldn't respond oh, so but he sad. could understand so sad <laughs> yeah there's so much ignorance around but what would happen if there must have been occasions when neil had seizures out in public as well um if he was having them so frequently yes. would people come and try and help you out what sort of reactions would you have? i can only remember one occasion when somebody came to help me but on the whole nobody would ever come um oh, just stay really far away stay they would stare and sometimes um unfortunately people would just burst out crying um because because they <gasps> feel so terrible about what was happening and you know i my heart oh. would go out to them at that point because obviously they wouldn't have had seen someone mm. have a seizure let alone a child um mm. and you know i would kind of be in that you know I, i'm trying to look after him and make sure he's safe and, and protected and then my heart's going out to that person who's crying as well and and you'd you'd see that on many occasions where other yes, people yeah. 
were yeah, crying. Well, yeah, I mean, not full, wow. on, full on sobbing, but you could see tears in their eyes, see them kind of oh, gasping yeah. or taking a breath. But yeah, very, very rarely mm. people would come and help. Um, and it would be Dev, you know, wherever he was, he'd come, you know, sprinting towards his brother and get the emergency medication out ready. And, you know, we would kind of have to work as, as a super team to, to just get Neil back. So this would have happened on numerous occasions, presumably, that he was having these seizures out in public. And there was only one time out of all those t- scenarios where you managed, where someone actually offered to help. Yes. Um, I guess we just got on with it at the time and didn't really notice. Mm. Um, and to be honest, you know, at that, at that moment in time when you're making sure that he's okay, he's able to breathe, you're putting him in the recovery position, um, his head's okay, he's, you know, he's not banged his head or anything, he doesn't need CPR. Um, he's not aspirating because during seizure you can aspirate as well. What's so aspirating? It's, um, Sorry. It's when you start producing excess saliva and you can't, they can't quite oh, swallow, yeah, that's swallow right, it at the yeah. time. Um, so sometimes you'll you have to be removing the saliva or, you know, I've, there's been times when you physically have to do that myself. So you're just yeah. kind of making sure he's okay. So you don't really think about it. And I guess I never really expected anything at the time from anybody. It's just about making sure that he's, it's all about him at that point and making sure that he's. Up, uh, yeah, your energy, your focus, Absolutely. your concentration's all there. And that must be exhausting as well once you've come out of that and, you know, hours later, tiring and exhausting for you. Well, you know, I guess, again, you don't really think about yourself because with with a seizure, um, it's for, this is kind of, it's so exhausting a seizure to somebody who's who's had one um sometimes neil would back within seconds and he would sit up and be confused he would forget about what what had happened um and sometimes it would mm. take him an hour to have a sleep and then wake up because basically at that point your whole body and all your muscles are tensing um so it is physically yes. exhausting for him there is if he's in that position you just let him rest make sure he's okay and then obviously just get him in the car and get him home as soon as possible um into his bed mm. or, or whatever he needs um so yes i think Poor the exhaustion thing, yeah. would hit you at the end of the day really but one one of the most exhausting things in those days um and probably all the way up to until dev died was my husband and i would take it in shifts to sleep because the, neil also had um something called sudep which is sudden and unexplained death and epilepsy which meant that he could have died at any point with a seizure with no you know any other reason just the seizure causing the death um so obviously we were really really cautious um about night times um, and generally during the day we never left him alone we had cameras all around the house as well um in case he wandered off you know just make sure someone's always with him keep an eye on him um but also at night time my husband and i would just sleep in four hour shifts so that is so stressful and would you literally have to sit whilst he was sleeping and just look over him for those four hours Um, my husband would read or sometimes um so with neil you could always feel the seizure he was always obviously the seizures are very physical so if you did kind of nod off or anything the seizure would wake you up and you would put him in a different position or anything like that um but mostly i would do i would just sit and do my work because i couldn't quite unwind at that point um when it was my turn so i would just do my my work or study or or do whatever I needed to do at that point. Mm. And mainly it was managing the next day um, because there were so yeah. many things to manage with his care and his um, his needs. So, God, the toll that would have taken on your uh, family life, your energy, Neil's energy, the, it, would, it would have had a big impact on your personal mental health to be juggling this sort of lifestyle that you 
probably didn't envisage having when you were planning out your family life. So you had to really get yourself focused in ship shape and focused yeah. to deal with these sort of scenarios. But and you know, jumping a little bit forward to later on in life when Deb was a little bit older. What happened, Mira? Like things. So Neil started going downhill. I would say around 2016, and Neil started having a different type of seizure. So um, these seizures was where he would drop completely, and he would literally. When I say drop, he would fly at that point. So he'd have a seizure, and he'd probably launch about a meter, and absolutely terrifying. Um, and he had two quite terrible head injuries with with these seizures, and he started having he started to have to wear a helmet um, at all times because they were so so dangerous. Um, oh and God. these seizures were terrifying for, for all of us to kind of you know the whole day you're really on edge of you know he's just got up. So in those days, in these days, he was able to physically walk as well. So he was physically walking and then he'd have this seizure and you had to make sure that the whole house was absolutely padded in every way possible so he couldn't catch the corner of anything. So we literally went to the local DIY store and bought loads of foam. And when, I'm not joking, if you walked into my house at that point, it was an absolute sight because we covered all the corners um, you know, even at that point, like the, the TV corners, the, the side, the corners of the fireplace, the door handles, we had foam everywhere. And that was to make sure. Was that um, something that you did, off, you know, from being very cautious parents and making sure that, you know, or were you advised? No, to so this take is something that I repeatedly asked for help for was from um, the occupational yeah. therapy team. And this is something they should have been supporting us with at the time. Um, unfortunately, they um, they just didn't, and um, the care was was kind of missed, I guess, at that point. And as a desperate mother, um, just wanting to make sure that he was okay, I ordered a helmet from America. At this point, he was wearing this this huge padded helmet around the house, plus everything else was padded as well, and it was just just to make sure that he could freely walk around and then not help hurt himself when he had seizure because you can't physically tie him down that you know that was impossible to do and it's not something you want to do either so we wanted him to have the freedom of walking around but you always wanted to make sure he was absolutely safe so yeah the whole hall downstairs was pretty much um covered in foam why did things become so bad for him from i mean his seizures sounded pretty bad even when he was young but how did it go from that to getting so bad where his entire body was being raised off the ground or being you know thrown into the air what we don't did, know whether We're, doctors ever able to explain no no reason it's just as time was going on the medication was working less and less we were having to use several um, numbers of medication anti-epileptics but the issues with using more and more medication um i'm just talking from a pharmacist perspective um is that you have more um side effects as well um, and the more number of drugs yeah. you use, the less they start working as well. So it's a really fine ba- balance. And, you know, I honestly, I I feel so, it was so lucky that I was a pharmacist and I could understand. And there are so many situations where parents don't understand. 
and it's it's really oh. tough to get your head around um, managing the situation and the drugs side effects, um, how long they can be used for, the different and new therapies as well. And literally, all I yeah. would do was just research, 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 and continuously just keep looking for new new things that we could try um, to help him. But we have yeah. no idea why he got worse um, whatsoever. And as time went on, um, one of the things that we um, started discussing was brain surgery. Now, obviously, just the word brain surgery is terrifying. And we all kind of just, you know, we mm. were like, no, no, no. And especially was like, I don't want my brother to go brain surgery. It's going to be really, really bad. And he, he was terrified. We were all terrified to, to go for that option. But as time went on, it just felt like there was nothing else we could try. And suddenly we all kind of came to the agreement that maybe that is the only option we have for Neil. Um, because at this point, we were scared he was going to have um, a head injury and possibly a fatal head, head injury, which we didn't want. So yeah. as desperate parents, we went for that option in 2017. Oh, so you did go ahead with we did, uh, brain yeah. surgery. So we went. And how did that go? What were the... <laughs> It was completely unsuccessful. There was, no way. There was no, no positives that came out of it whatsoever. In fact, he had a stroke the day after and his whole left side became pretty weak for months afterwards, after that. But also he had um, memory loss and word disassociation as well. Oh, which my was, gosh. Which was discussed as one of the side effects. So, for example, he wanted to drink water, but he couldn't say the word water, even though he knew what it was. But he would say wet and then point to his mouth. So you're suddenly having to really, really try and work out what he's trying to say. He's so frustrated. So all that hard work, all that effort, all the all work that you put into coordinating and training him up for all of that just disappeared yep. after this surgery. And um, was anyone able to tell you or advise you that these could be the consequences of the brain surgery or, you know, there may not be any improvement? Were these things highlighted by the medics involved? Um, I think they tried to explain and tell us the best they could. It just seemed like it was more, there was going to be more of a positive outcome than what it was. Yeah. So right. I, I guess we'd, we'd gone with the advice. And, the and you always hope for yeah. the best. You always hope for the positive outcome as well. Exactly. When things have become so bad, and it, you think you can only get better uh, through surgery. Exactly. And especially because there was very limited options. There's only three options at this point. To put him on a specialist diet, to go for the surgery or to go and try for cannabis oil. And um, those were the three options. And that's all there was literally on the table. Um, of of Neil's yeah. future and to make his life better. So for us, it was about the quality of his life. But then suddenly, I was having to teach him to walk again. He went back to being incontinent. I was teaching him words again. He used to forget who I was. He would literally be like, "Where am I? Who are you?" Oh. And it was so heartbreaking. But the one person he never forgot was Deb. He, you know, he would sit there and hold his hand, and they would go to sleep oh. together. I mean, they did that anyway, but. You know, they literally, like, they could see that his brother couldn't communicate. And even though at this point there was kind of very little verbal communication that was going on, again, their bond was so strong. And slowly, over the next couple of months, this is 2017, August, um, I would mm -hmm. say pretty much around February, March time, 
for the second mm. time in his life, we managed to get him walking again. <laughs> and again, that was with intense physical oh, therapy. Gosh. That was with me just being at home and pushing and All your hard work, just pushing, motivation. Yeah, and Dev obviously being there to just support and and keep. Go, you know, he was like, well, come on, Neil, you can do it. Come on, Neil, you can do it. And he would, you know, he'd be like, come on, Neil, you're getting a bit chubby now. You need to get up and start exercising. <laughs> and he'd make him wrestle to to get his um, muscles stronger. Strength. Yeah. Um, motivation from you guys really helped him achieve those things. And I guess, you know, those neurotransmitter connections had memorized the brain connections. They knew that it was possible for him to do before so why can't it be possible for him to do again so it's to get neurotransmitters to recall that information again i suppose that's right i mean it, it, when you're young um your your brain is very elastic and it's very learning as well so mm. you know there is there is a lot of possibilities at that point but you know mm. it's about it's about pushing yourself as well because we again i was going through my second kind of downfall in my own mental health to see him deteriorate the way he did yeah was was so painful and you know again he was relying on on me to do so many things that he couldn't you know he would he'd look at the steps and forget what to do <laughs> literally you're sitting there again you know as as you do a baby and it was pain it was very very difficult it was very difficult oh, yeah well, I can't I can we I can't it. imagine I can't imagine what it would have been like well done to you for being such an amazing mother to, you know, not stop and ju not give up at all and keep pushing for the best in your child as well. That's I think uh, it's really something any mother would do, but I, I can't say it was easy. It wasn't easy whatsoever. But I guess the most, the most tragic thing is that the same thing happened, um, literally in May following. So March, April, May, three months later, he, he stopped walking again. And, um, that's when he found out our that his brother was gone so oh my gosh this is really oh it's good i know i know the story but it's given me goosebumps again again from just hearing what yeah what's happened so we finally got to this point in our life again for the second time of you know finding some hope and pushing ourselves to to live and you know we the thing is, we, we were told that Neil wouldn't live for very long. And mm. then obviously we had the suit up as well. So every day was a blessing. Every day was special to us. And we lived yeah. every day very fully. And yeah. we loved each other unconditionally. We cherished everything we had. You know, Dev and I would sit there. And we had this thing every day where we'd be like, right, I'm grateful for these five things in my life today i am hopeful for these five things tomorrow um this is what i want to achieve this is how i can do it and we talked about all of these things every single day we told each other how much we loved each other every single day i would kiss him at night and say good night i am so proud of you Dev. i'm so mm. proud of you neil of everything you have done for today because every day was so precious to us because we didn't yeah. know if neil would wake up the next morning Mm. So, you know, we were really living in That's the moment. That's really beautiful that you were able to build that sort of life for yourselves despite all the adversities you were experiencing on a daily, daily life. You were Absolutely. the gratitude, you know. I refuse to back down. I, I don't know how and where and why. Um, I, I just refuse to back down and I refuse to let, let them back down as well. And I continued to work as well at this point because, and something I said to them very, very much, very daily was that mummy is working despite what's going on and despite how difficult life is because you can never give up. 
Mm. You can never stop and say, oh, no, look at me. I'm so sad because this X, Y, and Z happened. You can't do that. You have mm. to keep going. Mm. It doesn't matter what's happened. It's about the hope that you have to hold on to for tomorrow. Because yeah. you don't know if tomorrow is coming or not. And yeah, living each day as it comes, literally. Um, absolutely. And and we kept pushing and pushing and you know we got to this point where we you know i mean we were grateful for just the roof over our head and clean water and you know that we talked about things like that all the time he'd be like mommy you know we're so lucky that we've just got water coming there's so many people that don't have that and yeah. he really understood how um he really appreciated what we had and and the gifts that we had in life i guess because but, you know, we talked about the whole world and how there were situations and people who didn't have that. Mm. So we were always grateful for what we had. Yeah. We, we prayed and we appreciated and we loved with, with all that we could. And we did that all the time. We did that every single day. So, um, and that must have formed such a big part of your own well-being, mental health in the house for yeah. everyone well, as well. We're just our own cheerleaders. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to be, right, in that Absolutely. sort of situation. You just have to pluck up the courage and know that you're going to just support each other through those ways. And these are techniques that people are trying to use, you know, to overcome their own depression um, of being grateful and gratitude and living in the moment and pre being present so and that is something that you were just doing in a very natural way as well by the sounds yeah. of it i mean it was painful it was painful to see neil the way he was um mm. and it was painful for deb as well and you know yeah. he he in his own way coped with it for example for mm. every hospital appointment neil would have they would come home with a medal or a certificate and he would hand that over to Neil and say well done I wasn't quite their mother because they were just such a amazing and sweet bond together I was more their cheerleader yeah. in life I felt yeah. like I was here just to kind of keep motivating and pushing them and that's and a great role you put yourself into to be that cheerleader because being a mum is a very responsible role but being able to be a cheerleader or friend is so yes. much more I um, guess I always I always imagine that obviously because I'd had them very early that you know we would be young together yes. and they that's they, how, that's they literally were be. my best friends I never yeah. I always did what they did so if they were playing with their nerf guns I was playing with them that is that is exactly football, what mothering should be like and that is yeah. you know that is the role that I take on with my own children as well I play with them when they're playing yes I you know do what I you know I'll do what and that's that's the only way to really enjoy motherhood I would say is to be in that role with with them I, rather just, than just let your inner child out <laughs> yes it's all about letting just, your inner child yeah I completely agree yeah. Mira, um, what you've shared already has been has been extraordinary, and it's just made me realise, you know, how tough, ex amazing the you know the power that you would have had to endure this really tough, tough life. But very tragically, things became even tougher for you um, in a different way from what Neil was experiencing. I worked a very demanding job. And a lot was expected of me. So for when I left the house, I left all my problems at home. Like there was a lot of people at work that didn't even realize any of this was going on. Oh for my, at least how did you manage to keep three. that under wraps? That because was... for me, it was about the professional and emotional boundary. Um, so this was my personal life and what was happening at home was happening at home. That was, that was the way it mm. was. Now with me being at work, um, and working with other 
people in critical situations um, needed me and my absolutely clear mindset was really important. I'm so passionate about what I do as a job. Being patient-facing in those days, um, I had to make sure that I was there and listening to them um, with mm. what they needed. But also I became, uh, because I was, I felt, like I'd done so much research in epilepsy and children with disabilities and extra needs that I could support families who were going through a similar thing but didn't have the support mm. that they needed, just like I didn't. But with the, the research I'd done, I could support them even more, direct them, signpost them to all, the, all, all of what they needed as well. So mm. I guess I was doing my role in two different places for two very different reasons, I guess, but with the hope of obviously helping because in my head, I was like, I've got one child with all of these issues. Now, if I can go to work and help a hundred children with similar issues, then, you know, I've done my purpose, really. I've, I've done as much as I could. So we, did you have a different role to what, what you do now, which is at the moment you're a senior lecturer in postgrad pharmacy? And did, right. was it a different role that you had back then? Yes, yeah, so I was a pharmacist in a pharmacy patient facing at that point. Ah, oh, right. Okay. So, so I suppose, you know, hospital. going to work can be quite a nice distraction and it allows you to be you, not mummy, not the role that you play at home. So it's quite refreshing and good for the mental health of having that other life as well. Um, oh, gosh, yes. I think so. I think it's, it's for me, it was a little, it's a little bit of a respite. Um, but also it was about being me and... Mm. Um, sharing my knowledge and helping others in a different way, yeah. I guess. Now, yeah. this wasn't looked at very well in society. People kind of questioned why I was working, why mm. I was still studying. And, the the you know, you're a woman, you should be at home, your child's sick, you should be with him all the time. And I would give a very straight answer of saying, I have a great support system at home with my family and my children. My son is perfectly looked after in every way possible now if I can do the same outside with other children other families then I really do need to do that for myself I, yeah. I, sh I should be able to do that I guess from very early on there were so many restrictions you're a woman you should be at home you should look after your husband you should be cooking and cleaning blah blah, blah. and I, I guess I just I just never listened um, yeah I just do you know what kept pushing. No, these are just ridiculous conventional things that are placed on women that you should be doing this you should be doing that but ultimately you have to do what's right for you and your own um desires your own outlook and your own you know knowing you only you will ever know what's right for you and good for you for still being able to hold down your job as well um with everything going on at home that can't yeah. have been easy. Well, the thing is, I love teaching. So <laughs> yeah. Um, wherever I could in, in my job, as, as the timeline went on, I did as much teaching as I could. Um, and I was really, really fortunate to end up with literally my dream job, um, which oh, was teaching amazing. at university. So that's something I've grown up wanting oh, to do. congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, so literally, yes, that's, that's what I worked to. I managed to get to that at the age of 30. I had both my children, despite what difficulties there were, you know, there was I I got what I'd aimed for my goals in life. Mm. We were all really proud of that, and I was proud of Dev of how how far he was excelling around school, and you know he was so he was such an all rounder. He was academic. He was a great sportsman. 
Um, and, you know, he wanted to be a brain surgeon from a very early age. But I didn't know that he had expressed this at school from um, a very young age. Um, I wow. think when he just, it was one of his kindergarten teachers or reception teachers, sorry, that came and told me after he'd died that he'd been talking about it at school when he first started. He did all of his activities around wanting to be a brain surgeon. So he was very specific in what his ideology of, of his future was. And for me, that was really important to nourish that and nurture that to um, let him reach his, his greatest potential. Because <laughs> I, I, was, I was always... I guess I always said, look, if you aim for the 50th floor in a building, you're only going to ever reach the 50th floor or below. If you mm -hmm. at least aim for the 100th floor in a building, you can get anywhere <coughs> to 100th floor. And that's really important. Yeah, and Really good advice, useful he, advice to give a child about the fact that there's so much potential. It's what you set yourself as the sky. There's, there's no limit at all. Yeah, yeah, great advice for him. Mid May, I'd say Neil started deteriorating a little. Not not so much mm. that you could. That he'd he had up and down anyway, because you know even with fever or anything that could really trigger mm. him. So, and we noticed some changes. And then the week before the accident, Neil started deteriorating a lot. And so we had to make, make a very tough decision of taking him to Birmingham Children's Hospital. So we rushed him there, and he was he was admitted. And on Thursday, particularly. I guess something just didn't feel right. And, you know, his prognosis was, was getting poorer and poorer as Dave went on. And he just didn't seem to be responding very well whatsoever. As I said before, we'd always kind of been prepared should anything happen to Neil. And that yeah. particular day, I think I was having, I, I don't know what, I cannot describe what feeling it was, but it was just a sense of absolute tragedy inside me in everywhere possible. I couldn't, st I couldn't stop crying. I, I don't normally cry. I'm not a crying person, but that particular day, I could not stop crying uncontrollably. I was just absolutely mortified and devastated would, would be those words. We called Dev over because we thought, right, if Neil doesn't make it through today, then we want Dev to be able to see Neil and say yeah. goodbye because he would be really upset should anything happen. And we'd all, we'd all been prepared about this day. We talked about it and you're, you're kind of ready, but you're not. You're, you're not ready, but you are. It's one of those situations. And then obviously Dev went home because we didn't want him to stay too long. We were concerned about him and his mental health too. Then I got the phone call to say there's been an accident and it's really bad. Oh, and gosh. I just knew. There was no sort of confirmation at this point, but I just knew something awful had happened. And that feeling I'd had all day. because I'd Stemming actually, from that. I, I can't explain it because obviously it was all focused around Neil. And, you know, I was so desperate, but I said to the universe, like, please stop him suffering. Please, you know, stop this pain. End it somehow. Make him better or, or just, just leave, <laughs> stop the pain in any way possible. It was so, there was so much desperation in me at this point that I just wanted him to stop feeling that suffering. what he was going through. Yeah, the suffering. Yeah. And then... I was in the hospital. I was literally with Neil on my own and I got the second phone call and it just confirmed that Dev was gone. So there and was Neil absolutely yeah. in bedridden pain. But this is your other son who had been completely well throughout this entire journey, cheerleader for Neil. And it was him that was taken away from you. How is that even possible? That is... I have no idea. Because I guess I'd always thought that Dev was invincible. 
I'd, I'd always thought that that was um, my gift, <laughs> my gift for to make everything better and and just just be my my best friend forever. And and to lose him was there. There really are no words when people say there are no I, words. There's no. Words I can't. To yeah. That. Um, to lose that person, the one, everything going for him, his whole life ahead of him, and yeah, it was just oh, so Mira. tragic. <laughs> oh, I can't imagine. I just cannot imagine what it would have been like being in your shoes at that point. Like this time, I guess all I was trying to do was try and work out. Yeah, process what's process actually what going happened. on. And they just looked at me and they were just no nothing. They just couldn't even believe it themselves. And I remember one person saying to me, in 35 years, I've never seen anything so sad. I just, I don't know. It was, the, and then they brought Dev back to the same hospital. And then I had both my sons in the hospital again. And one was still fighting and the other one had gone. I'm completely, I mean, although I read about this, I'm so, so speechless, Mira. Um, I can't even comprehend what you would have been going through, what your husband would have experienced at this moment. Um, and to have both of your sons in the same hospital with one who'd been suffering and struggling all his life and the other one who'd been completely strong and by your side, I just... I mean, I'm really struggling to. Yeah. I, re I really did feel like it was it was a a wicked turn of of fate, or I don't know. I I, I can never explain what what it was. Mm. And you know, there, there's so many people after they've died that said, you know, he was he was only here for eight years, and you know that was his purpose. And you know, when one door closes, another one opens, and you know, he was only eight years old. You could try for another child. And oh my I gosh, just, people had the nerve to say oh, things like that. People are very, very, um, I think they disassociate with what you've been through before or look at your circumstance. And they suddenly look at this to try and give you hope, but they mm. don't realize that it's actually more damaging and cruel. Um, when it yeah. comes across to, the, to, to you as a person. But no, yeah. he wasn't here just for eight years. <laughs> we had him for the sole purpose of Neil. You know, he yes. was here to be Neil's guardian should anything happen to us. Mm. He was here to be Neil's future. Yeah. And he wasn't here. So, you know, how, how do you even respond to that? Um, mm. You know, ha mm. have another baby, he'll come back to you. And yeah. Yeah, there's, 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 I, I guess for me, there's no response to that. I, I, mm. I, I did stay very quiet very, very many months after, after they've passed away when, when people would say that. I'm, I'm almost, um, I, there, I don't think there's been any interview I have done where I have not been able to respond. And I'm, what, what I'm actually going to suggest is it's been a lot for you to share, a lot. Being a mum, I know, I, can, I can't imagine how heartbreaking that is. And it is really hard to digest um, your pain, your family's pain, and what happened to Neil and Dev. So I would love to be able to catch up with you because, Mira, you have done some amazing things as a consequence of what you experienced with the loss of your, your dear son. 
dev um, and you've been able to make some incredible changes to um, policies and higher level stuff in government that would impact on a lot of other people um, in future years to come as well and I'd love you to be able to share that but actually what I'm going to suggest is let's have another episode for you to do this because it's a lot for us to there's a lot of really emotional information that you're sharing and listeners will be listening to as well this is a privilege to have you to share your story and I want to hear more about the fact that you have been able to you've been able to make on yourself and others Um, and there's so much that you have to share so the second part of the series you will be sharing the remainder of your journey and actually the positives that have come out of you know something which has been truly truly awful I mean don't get me wrong I have people um well not many people but I've had I'd say probably one or two people send me a message that says your pain is your your story is so tragic that I cannot even read it because it's too painful to read. So yeah. I completely appreciate and um, understand other people's mental health when they're reading it. Um, mm. But I always say that, look, please step away if you need to and take that break because mm. it, it is a lot. But there is some hope at the end and I hope yeah. that you know you always walk away from yeah. my story smiling we were told that he'd uh, suffered from substantial brain damage um, which would affect him for the rest of his life during the birthing process it was shortly after 